There are now more than 3 billion social media users in the world. That's roughly 40% of the Earth's population. The amount of social media users is growing, too. In 2005, only 5% of American adults reported using social media. Now, 70% of them do. A technology that enables humanity to communicate and share life together all across the globe seems like a positive, life-giving thing. But is there a dark side to this technology? Limited research has shown that social media use actually has a significant impact on our stress level. Anxiety, mood, sleep, relationships, and overall happiness and well-being. In fact, some studies seem to indicate that the more we use social media, the more unhappy, lonely, and superficial we become. But is there a way for us to use this technology responsibly? Can we as followers of Jesus harness its power to spread the gospel and witness to the truth of who Christ is in our lives? Is it altogether an evil thing, or can it be used for good? And what about selfies? Is there research about that? And if so, what does it all mean? Maybe we should start calling them selfishies. Yeah, that didn't have the same ring to it. everybody and welcome to the Beards and Bible podcast. My name is Josh and I am joined by my brother in arms, Gabriel Joel Rutledge. Hello, welcome. I'm actually sitting in my bathroom recording this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I figured I'd just start. What? Just full disclosure. <laughs> Why are you sitting in your bathroom, Gabe? I'm actually sitting on a toilet while recording this. And that's how professional this podcast is. Okay, um, so let's have, talk. Yeah. Is the lid is the lid down? Are you using it as a like a just a platform? Or I'll you... leave, I'll leave that up to your imagination. So. <laughs> I so I live with three young horrible roommates that make all kinds of noise at all hours mm-hmm. of the day, mm-hmm. and one of them occasionally poops his pants, mm. and so that's awkward. Um, but anyways, I I am locked in the bathroom, and this is my safe spot. This is. Mm-hmm. I say this is where my wife also comes to eat her secret stash of chocolate colored covered pretzels. Um, yeah, you know, before I had kids, I would think that's the strangest thing you could ever say to me. But now that I also have two really inconsiderate um, roommates, roommates as well, mm-hmm. I completely understand. Yeah. There is there is nothing like trying to use the restroom in solitude and seeing a little hand come underneath the door. Yeah, it's terrifying. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is things that I used to like take for granted all the time like being able to use the bathroom in peace being able to make any snack i wanted without someone asking for half of it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. does that happen with your kids i don't oh yeah absolutely yeah Yeah, it's like a pack of vultures that come in but the terrifying thing now is i have a 12 year old and he's tall enough to reach the little key at the top of the door and gosh (laughs) to pass it to pass it to the the three-year-old it was yeah. able to unlock so it's like you're you're sitting there and you think you're safe right you have the illusion right. of safety and security and then um no it's it's, it's just always, yeah yeah my, my kids get into anything that is like um eye level or or you know so anything i keep in my nightstand is fair game so i have reading yeah. glasses i keep in my nightstand and they'll just disappear and i'm like where did my glasses go my wife's like if you kept it in eye level they're gonna get it so mm-hmm. yeah 
It's like having uh, little ferrets around my house. They go and steal my stuff and then hide them. And then I'll find my stuff in the playroom later on. If somebody's listening to this and you're considering having children, I really hope we didn't discourage you from having children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I'm trying not to make any old jokes about the fact that you have reading glasses next to your bed. <laughs> it's really hard to, to touch. Here's my, here's, you can see here's mine that I've at oh, my nice. desk at work. This is how old I'm getting. You ready? I have a pair I keep at my desk at work and then a pair I oh, keep gosh. on my nightstand by my bed. Oh, man. You are. I know. I know. I had a guy the other day guess that I was 40. Yeah. Yeah, I had someone the other day say 45. They said, and I told him, no, I'm 35. And they said, oh, the beard puts at least 10 years on you. And I'm like, yeah. wow, that's... If that's I had the, a thin skin, that would have just crushed me. That's the burden we must carry as men with beards. Yeah. People always assume we're much older than we actually are. It's a burden I'm willing to carry. I think it's it's worth yes. it. Yeah, I've counted up the cost, and I've realized it's better to look actually like a man yeah. than a 12-year-old boy. So. But you can always just, when you post on social media, you can always just put mm. the put the effects on there, you know, in the filter. Good and it, and it, segue, yes. Which is odd. I mean, how do you feel about all these filters that we can put on our faces to lengthen our eyelashes? You Do do you do that from time to time? <laughs> Absolutely. Any selfie I post, I put copious amounts of filtering on it to make my skin look perfect <laughs> and glows mm-hmm. to it. I think I can always tell when somebody's used a filter on a selfie. Really? Right? Okay. I mean, I, yeah. Like, I mean, I, like, especially the ones where, like, the eyes sparkle and, like, the mm-hmm. teeth are just, like bleach white and the skin just looks like it's naturally glowing i think everybody can kind of tell yeah hey man you really don't look like that i ran into you at the grocery store and that's not how you look i can't tell with with stacy just because she always has that natural glow oh brownie points yeah so it's hard to tell yeah you're you're really banking on your wife listening to this podcast later on in the week so i I don't think she will but yeah Uh, my wife always, my wife always listens. She's, she's, uh, when Good. she's riding around. So Jenny, if you, if you're listening to this, I love you so much. And I think <laughs> you have beautiful skin. <laughs> All right. Okay. Let's shift gears a second. All right. So today we're talking about social media and social media use and not just social media use, but what social media use is doing to us. It's pretty interesting to note that. In 2005, which is not that long ago, 15 years ago, I know it sounds like it was just yesterday, but it is 15 years ago, which in the grand scheme of things is not that long ago, but a a little bit longer than most people think. There was only 5% of American adults that were using a social media platform. And now, in 2020, 70% of American adults use a social media platform. And they spend an average of two hours every day on social media platforms. There are 40 percent of the world uses it so three billion social media users um that's a pretty significant uh segment of the population that's online on a social media platform yeah for sure just the, just the growth rate of that is is unbelievable it is and how Do much of that has shrunk shrunk the world down in size it's it's, it's crazy I don't, yeah. I don't think we fully know, and I think something we're going to try to unpack in this episode is we don't know the full ramifications of that um, right now and what that's doing to humanity, both mm-hmm. positive and negative. But what were you about to ask? No, I was just going to say, so like it used to seem so bizarre and so strange to interact with someone on the other side of the country using a platform like Facebook or mm-hmm. you know twitter or instagram or something like that but now it just seems like commonplace right to get a friend request oh this person lives 
in California, oh, this person even lives in another country. It just seems to be, yeah, you know. Like well, I can re- I can remember as a child, I was like 11, 12 years old. We moved away from my childhood home to a different home, t- different city, and I had all these friends, you know, that I, I went to church with, and it was the first time that we ever had internet. It was up in my dad's office at his work, but I would go up there and I would ask my dad if I could get on his computer and check my email, and you know, this was this was like 1996, but I remember thinking how cool it was to hit the refresh button and get an email from my friend Absolutely. without having to wait for it to come in the mail. Yeah. Um, it was just like, and we would like stay there for like an hour and write each other back and forth and continue <laughs> to refresh our email. And now it's like the fact that you and I are making this, like we can see each other, we can chat. Yeah. It's like, that was, that was just 25 years ago yeah. and how much and how rapidly the technology has progressed. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. What was your first email? Was it a Juno? Was it AOL? What was I think it? it was Juno. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, it was. Juno. Yeah. OG. Juno. And then yeah. we get all those AOL discs in the mail, you know, like 10,000 yeah. hours of free AOL. So so when you and I were in college, the big platform that everybody used, was using was AOL Instant Messenger. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, AIM. And, every, and so this is before text messaging, which is so bizarre to say that because text messaging mm-hmm. is such a common thing now. Mm-hmm. But before there was even text messaging, we used AOL Instant Messenger and everybody was on it, mm-hmm. at, at least at our college. In fact, yeah. you and I, I think that's how we communicate. Like if we were like, hey, let's hang out. It was like we didn't text each other. You you IM'd each other. Yeah. I and can still I, remember that sound when you get. Yeah. I remember Stacy Angel 143. Was hey, my, how, did, how did you get your wife's screen name, by the way? Give credit know. to who credits do. I don't, I don't remember. You don't remember? Did you? I assume you. Could... Yes. Oh, yeah, I'm okay, the one that okay. gave it to you. Yeah. Okay. So Stacey, I am. Yeah. So so my three roommates are. are I am directly are, responsible are, for your three roommates. Exactly. Because I'm the one that provided you with your wife's instant screen. messaging screen. Stacy Angel one four three. Stacy Angel one four three. And you were Gabriel Joel. I don't remember. It's very possible. I, I, so. I honestly I don't remember. That's what it was. Mine was. <laughs> this is so stupid. Mine was. Jeremy is a nerd, 86. Nice. Jeremy, being your brother, yeah, is a nerd. He's a nerd. And wow. then 86, I don't I don't even know where I got 86 because I wasn't born in 86. I was born in 85. So hmm. I wonder uh-huh. if there was 85 other Jeremy's as a nerd and I just had to happen to be the 86th one. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. So what were some of the things that you loved about using social media? Because, okay, so Instant Messenger was the one that we kind of cut our teeth on. And then yeah. from there... It moved to platforms like LiveJournal mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Zanga. Yeah, yeah. You remember Zanga? Zanga yep. was all the rage at Southeastern College. Yep. And then from there, the new thing came out called MySpace. Yep. And MySpace was really popular for about mm, three or four years. Mm-hmm. And then in 2005, Facebook came on the scene. And Facebook was just for college students at first. You, you couldn't get onto Facebook unless yeah. you had a college email. Yep. And probably around 2009, 2008, 2009, Facebook kind of blew up. Mm-hmm. And it started opening up to other users that weren't in college and started allowing ads, which Facebook before ads seems like such a strange world. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember sitting in my dorm room and Brent, my roommate, said, Oh, he looked over and he's like, oh, you're on MySpace? And he's like, oh, you got to get on Facebook. That's where everybody's at. <laughs> and I can remember his words to this day. 
And it was that day I was like, okay, show me how to start an account, yeah. I guess. So I how, opened this account. How does one Facebook? Yeah, but it was like, yeah. this. Just I, the first time I ever heard Facebook, I was like, this sounds so yeah. narcissistic, but sign yeah. me up, you know? Yeah. No, and I remember the first thing I did when I signed up on Facebook, because I was in the I was in the, the dorm room next to you, because we were in a suite, and my roommate, your suite mate, Ryan, him and I both got on. Hi, Ryan. Probably, probably yeah, hi, Ryan. Thanks for listening, bud. Probably on the same day. And we friended everybody that we could think of. We'd be like, I wonder if so-and-so has one. So we'd both type it in and then be like, send it, send it. Oh my gosh, they're on here. And then I started thinking of like old friends from mm-hmm. like elementary school or friends that I had met at like church camp once upon a time and started typing in their name. And lo and behold, I found out, wow, they're going to Georgia Tech. I think, I think they would remember me and sending them a friend mm-hmm. request. And it was just this like incredible technology to connect people that Mm -hmm. you were not connected with and so that was something about it that was just so amazing yeah but then then you wake up that one morning and you have it's the dreadful day when you get a friend request from your grandmother (laughs) (laughs) and you you realize your grandmother is on social media yeah but yeah it's like this weird uh continual unplanned high school and college and family reunion all packaged into one platform. And it's like all these different people from all these different walks of life who knew these different phases of your maturity. (laughs) And you know, you're like, wow, this is so weird. So when I post a picture, my ex-girlfriend from the 10th grade is gonna see this in addition to my grandmother, in addition to my cousin living in North Carolina, you know, and it's like so bizarre. Well, at first, I don't think we knew the power of it because, the only people that were on when you and I first got on social media were our friends from college, like people that were, mm-hmm. you know, our age, people that had our interests, people that looked like us. And so there was not a lot of um, wisdom or thought to the content that we posted. You could say anything you wanted and do anything you want because, mm-hmm. you know, not everybody's on there. Because, again, in 2005, only 5% of American adults used social media. Yeah. So we didn't really think about its power back then. And I remember um, first hearing about Twitter, uh, Dave Carmichael. You remember Dave? Mm-hmm. Shakedown yeah, Dave? Yeah, Shakedown, yeah. Oh, Shakedown Dave. Him and I were sitting having pizza somewhere in Lakeland, and he told me about this thing called Twitter. And he's like, hey, man, you want to see my Twitter? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I do. Uh, and then he explained it to me. I was like, oh, okay. And uh he explained to me and he goes, yeah, any, any time I'm doing something or anytime I'm thinking something, I can post it in less than 140 characters or whatever it was back then. And everybody will see it. And I was like, oh, why, gosh. why would anybody want to? Just the way you <laughs> described that. Just, I mean, just like just <laughs> that description right there. Oh, anytime I'm thinking anything, I can right. condense it down to 140 characters and anybody can see it. It's like, yeah. wow, yeah. that is terrifying. Well, and I remember he telling me that. And I remember thinking as I'm sitting in this pizza place, like nobody, like that's not going to do anything. Like that's, no one's ever going to get on there. And I remember thinking it's just a fad. And he goes, watch, look, look at this. So he pulls out his phone. It was like a first generation iPhone. This is probably 2007. And he types up having pizza with Josh Brooker and hits tweet. And it goes, and goes out in the tweeter verse. And I'm looking at it like, all right, who's going to like, who's going to care you know like who's gonna and then lo and behold we're sitting having pizza and his phone buzzes and two or three people that we're friends with oh josh brooker's in town cool tell him hey and i'm like that's really weird but i did not think you know 
13 years later that the president of the United States would be using that platform somehow to communicate with the masses. Like how bizarre yeah. is that to think through? Yeah, it is. It is. It's really odd. Um, I think anytime it's anytime we have that much of a platform at our fingertips, it is, uh, awe inspiring. It, it could bring out the best or the worst in every single human being. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, it's bizarre. I, I, and I think the, when you look at the research on social media and what it's doing to us, I think the, the difficult part about it is social media is a relatively new um, technology. So conclusive findings as to what it's doing to us are, are limited because it not only is it new, it's changing so quickly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we get used to one platform, uh, you know, AOL Instant Messenger, and then all of a sudden that's antiquated. You mm -hmm. can't even use that anymore. And now we're on Facebook. Okay, and then their MySpace is gone. Okay, now there's a big exodus from Facebook and people are going to other social media platforms. So yeah. the research that does exist is is mainly reliant on self-reporting. So people themselves saying, this is how it makes me feel. These are the effects that I'm seeing it have on me. And so um, the, the majority of studies are actually focused on Facebook usage because that's the biggest um, platform right now. But... Um, We'll get into it. Let's talk about what effect social media is having on our brains. Um, the well, and before we j let's jump into that, let yeah. we stopped at Facebook. But I'm, you know, I'm a school teacher, so I know my students will say, "Oh, Facebook is for old people." They'll say mm -hmm. that's for boomers, mm -hmm. right? And none of them have Facebook. Right. They all use Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat. What's yeah. the commonality between those three? which is interesting is there's zero, oh, and no, I shouldn't say zero, but it's predominantly little to no text and all photo and video driven, which interesting. is interesting. Cause yeah, and we talk about this, how Facebook initially was predominantly text driven. You have to read something and maybe look at a photo, but predominantly it was all text. Whereas yeah. now it's all visual, it's all photo and video. And it's only really like TikTok and, and Snapchat. It's very short videos. Right. So I want to make sure we put that in there because um, that, I believe, is posing a bigger threat to our attention spans and, um, you know, just the level of information we get, the quality of information we get about sure. people. Um, so before we get into the research, we're not just focusing on uh, the negative effects of Facebook and everything right, else. Right, we're right. focusing That's on those things point. as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think because you and I, um, we would be considered... Uh, the millennial generation, mm -hmm. but here's the here's the big misconception most people have. Most people assume anyone under the age of forty is a millennial. That's not true. Mm -hmm. um, the millennial generation is actually aging, and the generation that is now in their early to mid twenties in their teens is a completely different generation than the millennials. Mm -hmm. And so that generation, some people have called them Gen Y. Some people have called them. Um, there's another name for it. I can't remember, but that generation has different social media habits than even yours and my generation, Gabe. Yeah. So that's a really good point to bring up. So, mm -hmm. well, let's look at it. So, um, again, like we said, a lot of these, um, a lot of this information is, is relying on self-reporting, but it is pretty reliable because a lot of it is, you know, anonymous surveys asking people, Hey, what, 
what effect does it have on you? Why do you use it? So in a 2018 article by uh, Jessica Brown from the BBC Future blog, the name of the article is, Is Social Media Bad For You? Very helpful article. I recommend anybody interested in this topic, go read it. Um, one of the things that she points out is um, that social media tends to have an impact on stress and the stress level of someone that is using it. Um, there are a lot of people that see social media as a venting platform. And so one of the things that they use it for is to vent on everything from poor customer service they received at a restaurant to a political situation they're frustrated with to, you know, even somebody that um, upset them in their friend group or in their family. They'll go on to social media and they will vent about it. And I think that anybody that's used any sort of social media platform has probably seen that or mm -hmm. maybe even participated on that. But the problem is it just might actually induce more stress than it relieves. Mm -hmm. So there's the thought that if I go on social media and I vent because I'm frustrated with this, I'm going to feel better. But the problem is it actually causes us more stress. And one of the reasons it does is because we become aware of other people's stress every time we log in. So we log in thinking that we're going to relieve some stress. And then we look and we see our, our news feed filled up with all these other people who are stressed out about all these things and so yeah. that gets us even more stressed um interestingly enough women reported feeling more stressed than men um, most researchers reported that men tend to have more of an emotional distance um with their relationship with social media hmm. so what do you think about that gabe you, have you seen that or do you feel like yes. that has an impact on stress yes i've, I've personally witnessed that yeah, absolutely and, I, you know, I like to compare 100 years ago, the level of information we were exposed to on a daily basis. Um, and I think we mentioned this when we we're talking about the race issues going on. 100 years ago, we would, if we were, you know, if we were able to afford it, we'd go buy a newspaper, right? And we would read about some of the national headlines and maybe some local headlines. But we didn't know everything going on on a national level we didn't know everything going on on the local level and we didn't know everything going on on a familial and friendship level of what's going on in people's day-to-day -day lives so we didn't know so and so had cancer we didn't know um so and so you know is suffering from this um job layoff or so and so has this virus right you mm -hmm. weren't exposed to that much information right and i'm not saying Learning all that about people who are close to you is a bad thing. I think it's a good thing that you be there for people and you empathize with them and you support them. You bear each other's burdens, right? But it's just but the amount of information. All the, the amount of information yeah. you're exposed to, and then here's the here's the here's the stress and anxiety inducing component is that you are probably ninety percent of the information that you take in, you're completely powerless to affect or do anything right. about it. So you it leaves yourself feeling out of control. And that feeling of being out of control is what creates anxiety and stress. Right. No, and that's that's a really good point. I mean, because there's a lot of information that you read about and people are all mad about and they're posting their opinions on it. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that doesn't do anything. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the, the misconception is we think it's going to relieve stress if we get in there and start talking about how frustrated we are about this. But the research actually shows it, it doesn't relieve the stress. It actually causes more stress. Yeah. Um. I watched a TED Talk the other day, um, and it it was about the, the power of social media, both for good and for bad. And 
the four most common stressors of social media. I found that super interesting. Um, the first most common stressor of social media is the highlight reel phenomena. So when somebody logs on and they see someone else's life mm. and it looks really, really awesome. Yeah. But it's just the highlight reel. Yep. It's like them napping on a beach and it's like, hey, taking a nap, BRB. And it's, you know, and somebody looks at that and goes, man, I I wish I could afford to go on vacation to a nice place like that. Or yeah. I, I, I wish my kids looked like that. I wish I wish my, my skin looked as beautiful. Or And so the highlight reel actually creates insecurities in all the people that view it mm -hmm. because it's, you know, it, it's not realistic. It's not, you know, someone's actual you know, full scan of their life. It's just the best parts of it presented as the full scan of someone's life. So that's the, the top stressor on social media. Most people report. Um, the second is the social currency phenomena. So um, all of our likes, all of our comments, mm -hmm. all of our shares, all of those things attribute value to something. So, and, and online marketers understand this. So if you have a product that you're selling and it's doing really well because there's a lot of likes, because there's a lot of shares and because there's a lot of comments, then, Hey, that thing is valuable. But what if this is the crazy part? What if we're the product that others are attributing value to? Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, what if we post a picture of ourselves or we post a comment about something that we think, or we post a, you know, I, I think this, or I'm doing it. And, and there, it doesn't get any likes. It doesn't get any comments. It doesn't get any shares. What yeah. that does to us is it actually stresses us out because in our insecurity, we believe that somehow it's not as valuable because it doesn't have as much social currency. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can see how they it, it would derive self-value and worth off of that, that number that comes alongside a little, little thumbs up icon, right? Yeah. And research has actually shown that people get a dopamine release, a dopamine release whenever, um, you know, you get a like whenever you get a share, whenever you get any of that stuff that the little pleasure sensors of our brain light up, mm. um, almost like you're taking a, a, you know, a drag from a cigarette and you get a, a hit of nicotine. So interesting how that works. So number three, most common stressor is FOMO, the the fear of missing out. Have you heard that phrase? Before oh, I've never heard that phrase, but yeah, I can, I can yeah. see that for sure. FOMO. And really it is, it's just social anxiety that you're missing an event, you're missing mm. a trend you're missing a conversation right there's a new series on netflix everybody gets on social media they're talking about oh how cool this is and you don't want to be left out mm -hmm. right and so you're stressed out that maybe you are being left out or there's an awesome party and there's pictures taken to this party or there's an awesome uh place people are visiting or restaurant people are going to and that fear that maybe you're not on the bandwagon with everybody else it creates stress yeah, which you wouldn't have even known about that event or those connections or those networks were it not mm -hmm. for social media. Yep, absolutely, which is so funny. You know, uh, this TED Talk, the, the lady was talking about, she asked the audience, she says, how many of you considered getting off social media? Everyone's hand in the room went up. Wow. And she said, most of you feel as though you can't get off social media, though, because if you do, you're mm -hmm. going to miss out. Yeah. Yeah. And the fourth most common, most, I'm Mike Tyson. The fourth, the fourth <laughs> most common stressor, that's a tough phrase to say, is online harassment. So 40% of adults that are online have experienced online harassment either to 
arguments or straight up harassment. You know, you get a keyboard warrior that, you know, takes you to task on something. Yeah. And and seventy three percent of adults who are online have witnessed it. And one of the things that we see is that people are emboldened when they get behind a keyboard or they get behind a phone. And so they will say things online through a social media platform that they would never say to someone face to face. And then immediately that dialogue becomes global. It becomes permanent. Like it's there unless you delete it and it's instantaneous. And then you, you have an audience, right? So it's almost akin to taking two people with strong opinions, getting them really, really drunk so all their inhibitions go away and they say things they normally wouldn't say and then putting them on a debate stage in front of thousands of people. Yeah. And then expecting there to be a reasonable dialogue and exchange of ideas. Yeah, that's so bizarre. Yeah, that's... I mean, that's just the perfect storm for... Yeah. Uh, I mean, you just take people who are only moderately educated on a topic and, and right. put them in a room together of varying opinions and and here's a here's a scary aspect of all this is so facebook i know that's the only one i can really speak with a lot of certainty on facebook is getting a lot of money from companies that run ads on facebook right so that's mm -hmm. how facebook gets paid that's right it's not for free it's you're 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 making facebook money so facebook asks the question naturally well, how do we get people to stay on our platform so that they click on more ads so that we get paid more money? Uh, let's build these algorithms that float certain people's stories or keywords or photos. Let's float those things at the top of these people's news feeds so that they will see them and there will be a greater chance of them getting engaged in a debate or getting engaged in some kind of conversation or liking something so basically, Facebook, it's consumed with answering the question, how do we take people's time and keep it glued to our platform more? Interesting. So that we can have a higher chance of getting clicks, so that we can earn more money. And that's a business. That's yeah. what businesses do. It's not a, right. you, that's to be expected. But we have to think from a kingdom aspect, from a biblical aspect, time is our most valuable asset that has been given to us. And if there is a platform at our fingertips whose sole purpose it is to try to keep us on that platform, so you're like you're looking at that, you're not you're not engaging with your wife, you're not engaging your children, you're not reading your Bible, right? You're not doing these things that are going to edify you or edify the body of Messiah. So people don't realize that that Facebook right. is engineered to keep you engaged and on that platform and not doing right. anything but that. Yeah, and, and it's also engineered to keep giving you content that you're going to agree with naturally anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, which in turn creates this echo chamber effect, right? right. Where you're, right. you're basically isolating yourself, you're putting yourself on an island with people who agree with you. Right. And that is, that is not healthy. That's really, that's no. really not good. And, and I think that actually creates... You know, if, if you're used to interacting mainly with people who have your opinion, when that person or that set of individuals comes across your newsfeed that has a differing opinion than you, it incites a very strong response. Mm -hmm. Why? Because most people that you see on your platform agree with you 
Well, why is it that they agree with you? Because you're only seeing what they want you to see. Yeah. Right? You're only seeing what Facebook gets you to see or wants you to see because they know that's going to get more comments, likes, shares, clicks. And so it is an artificial social world. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not how real life works. Like, when you walk right. into family dinner at your, you know, at your in-laws at Thanksgiving, you're going to interact with cousins, aunts, uncles, in-laws, outlaws, people you're not even sure how you're related to them, but you are. And, and you're going to get a whole slew of viewpoints and opinions and perspectives. And you can't act like a complete jerk to all of them just because they disagree with you. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not good manners. That's not civility. That's not constructive dialogue. And yet, we're on this platform that we somehow think we can play by different rules and get a different outcome, and it's amazing. It's amazing what is done to us socially and what's exposed in us. Um, well, it's interesting how, um, you know, you may remember in 2010, 2012, um, this, there's this, this phenomenon that happened called the Arab Spring. Yes, And absolutely. many, many um, commentators attribute that to the rise of social media access mm-hmm. and smartphones. Mm-hmm. Um, and for good or bad, I have no idea. It's very, it's probably a very complex issue that I have no idea what, to, what I don't know what side I stand on. But just the fact that there were these uprisings and revolutions in numerous countries that were per, people with certainty will say that it was a direct result of their access to social media. To me, that's hmm. really fascinating. But yeah, also, um, I don't know. It's just, it's also kind of terrifying in the same right. Um, hmm. Well, and I think there's a part of it that's like, okay, people got to see what was really going on and people got to really voice their opinion mm-hmm. on, a, on a free platform. So that's the benefit of it, right? The problem, um, though, lies when, and we see a lot of this going on right now in social media, is fake information. And that's yes. a big, that's a big, um, thrust of Facebook trying to weed this stuff out, right? And it's right. people get caught up in that and people say, okay, it's censoring me and maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know. But when you have, um, when you put out a photo, maybe that's not a completely real photo or you put out a quote that's not in context mm-hmm. and suddenly tens of thousands and millions of people can share it before the truth catches up with it, right. that is that is scary. That can be oh, really incendiary. It, it can, and it has been. You know, and mm-hmm. I think that's something we've seen in the age of information we're living in now. Yeah, um, yeah. So that's impact on stress. That's kind of the, the big thing. And, and kind of research seems to indicate that the more time one spends on a social media platform, you know, be it Facebook, which we're talking more about, but not just Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, even Snapchat, um, stress seems to go up. So there's mm-hmm. a correlation there. Um, some people report using it as a coping mechanism, but by and large, the research supports that most people feel more stress the more time they spend. Um, there's been research on what it does to uh, mood, so the mood of a person. I thought this was interesting. There is a correlation to weather patterns um, in the content posted. So if the weather's good, hmm. content tends to be happier and nicer and lighter. If the weather is bad, it tends to be more negative. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, researchers in Austria found that participants reported lower moods after using Facebook for just 20 minutes compared to those who just browsed the internet. Um, one of the reasons is the people that browse Facebook for 20 minutes said they just felt like they were wasting time. Wow. You know, sometimes 
you know when you're like really hangry and you're driving on the road and like the only thing available is like mcdonald's right yes and you just whip in there and you're like oh man i could just like tear up a big mac or a quarter pounder <laughs> you know what i'm gonna get two quarter pounders and yes. some fries you know and a coke and stuff and Amen. you like pull over in the parking lot and you're just like chowing down on this right mm-hmm. and you love it in the moment and you're like oh it's so good and then like what happens like 20 30 minutes later you're like totally regretting that decision because you just yes. feel like crud mm-hmm. and i feel that way after spending an inordinate amount of time on facebook you're like feasting yourself on all this information and all these people's updates and all this other stuff but then at the end of it you're just like oh i feel kind of icky now you know i get yeah. that feeling oh, yeah. that, that kind of like that hangover of like Absolutely. oh i just saw a bunch of junky information yep. and like you know poodles like doing tricks in someone's yard and then like this <laughs> po- politician is a scumbag and you know you're just like so inundated yep. with this just like eclectic assortment of information you're like oh yeah i i never feel good when i log on and people are just frustrated and angry about everything mm-hmm. right and it's even more confusing when you go through and people are frustrated about something from one side of it and then you scroll right down and directly underneath someone's just as equally frustrated about the same issue on the other side of it and the funny thing is that issue didn't exist like three hours mm-hmm. before that, but mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's three hours old and on your newsfeed you've got folks that are irate about something that didn't even exist three hours ago. And and you just kind of, I, I think for me, it's like you see that and you see people's anger, you see people's frustration, you see people just getting so bent out of shape and you're just like, man, like how do I have the emotional energy to expend on that? Mm-hmm. Like I have two young children, I have a wife, I have a congregation mm-hmm. and and they're looking to me to be their shepherd and how do I have, I mean, sometimes at the end of the day, just as a pastor, and Gabe, you probably know this feeling, you come home and you don't have much emotional margin to even give to your family. Yeah. But you you give what you have to them and then you're like at the end of the day and man, like you're emotionally drained, you're mentally drained and you sit down and you pull up social media and all it is is people asking for you to give more emotional energy that you don't have the causes that don't really affect you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and think, you're completely powerless to affect. Yeah, and I think we could push past that and jump in the fray, and you know, oh, I'm angry and irate about this as well. And and what does that end up doing to us? I think that's what we don't sometimes think about. Um, research has indicated anxiety is provoked by social media that's that's pretty overwhelmingly uh conclusive um but in terms of specifically what does that look like that's a little bit unclear and inconclusive because some studies suggest that increased social media use definitely responds to increased levels of anxiety Um, however others suggest it might be correlative and not causal Hmm. so in other words anxious people may tend to use social media more frequently yeah and social media may not necessarily cause someone to be anxious. It just exposes and gives anxious people a platform. Yeah, yeah. Which, which is, is a, which further exacerbates the anxiety. You know, but yeah, I yeah. can see that. Yeah. So uh, a lot of the research is um, basically shown that people that use social media most frequently tend to have restlessness and worry, trouble sleeping, trouble mm-hmm. concentrating. Sure. Well, I mean, just on a on a completely uh, physiological level, just staring at a at a at a light as your body's trying to you know 
excrete yes. melatonin and stuff and it's like okay i'm tired i want to go to sleep but you're yep. you're like oh i want to spend an hour staring at this screen yes well let, um, let's talk about that um so repeated screen time and most of the time that's through social media that is actually has a drastic impact on sleep so um, researchers found screen time and prolonged exposure to artificial light in the evenings inhibits the body's production of the hormone melatonin hmm. and blue light which is emitted by smartphones tablets and laptops is said to be the worst culprit hmm. wow. so in other words if you lie on the pillow at night and you're checking your facebook and you're checking twitter and you're looking at your phone and it's the last thing you see before you go to sleep it's pretty clear to most research you're not going to sleep well so well and that's just that's just like a physiological level not only that right. but like a psychological level you're taking in all this information like i said and some of it might be kind of disturbing um yes. you're watching riots you're watching political debates you're watching all this stuff and then you're trying to close your eyes and go to sleep and i don't you know for me that's i i that's the last thing i want to do before i go to sleep i want to i want to like lay there and i want to thank god for the day i want to think about what i've done and like whether or not i've used his time that he's given to me wisely you know and yeah. and spend time in prayer and and reflection but um that to me helps me wind down and fall asleep but yeah to see all this stuff i oh yeah. get you so worked I, up man i i used to be really bad about i kept my phone um next to me at my bed on my nightstand mm -hmm. and um when we moved into our new house one of the things that i really wanted to do is i built a little shelf in our closet and i plug my phone in in my closet and i don't i plug it in and i don't look at it until in the morning much later and um I try as hard as I can to not look at my phone at all in the last hour that I'm awake before I go to sleep. Hmm. And instead what I do is I read. So I've got a couple of books going right now that are just kind of on my nightstand that I'll kind of go through. Um, this is really funny. You're going to make fun of me. I play mind games on the Alexa. Nice. So like, like different mental exercises. So I love to play Jeopardy. So I always play Jeopardy on Alexa, which is a lot of fun. So I'm you, you have a, obviously you have your assortment of Nicholas Sparks novels. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm, I'm reading the guardian and walk to remember and actually Gabe, you just caught me. I have read Nicholas Sparks novels. <laughs> I'm going to keep going. So anyway, um, <laughs> that's not what I'm reading right now, but just saying. And, uh, then I, I, I try if my wife is not asleep yet, which she's pregnant right now. So sometimes she's asleep before me, but we pray together before we, we go to sleep. And that's kind of our way of winding down our way of kind of, letting our brains start to rest before our bodies start to rest yeah and well i think there's something so very important. biblical about that you know um deuteronomy 6 says these words that i command you this day speak of them when you wake up when you walk by the way and when you lie down so it's like this threefold three points of contact where we're supposed to talk and speak and pray god's word yes. and when we lie down we should be meditating on his word. We should be thinking about it. We should be reciting it. And mm -hmm. that's a very biblical thing to do, I think. Absolutely. And it seems like we've we've lost that value of, of kind of allowing our minds to rest a little bit without constantly putting in stimulus, you know. Um, there's an impact that research has shown towards depression. So there's, there's two studies involved um, with more than 700 students that found that depressive symptoms such as low mood and feelings of worthlessness and hopelessness were linked to the quality of online interactions. So mm. uh, there's a 2016 study I thought was really interesting 
there is a threefold risk of depression and anxiety among people who use the most social media platforms. Hmm. So the more you use social media, if you're using it two hours a day, which is the, you know, that's the average, which is mind blowing to me. I don't, I don't know how you could spend two hours a day on social media. Um, you have a threefold risk of depression and anxiety. Wow. You know, I, I could see how you do it. I mean, if you have it at your fingertips and you're just, I mean, like yesterday I spent six hours on the road, um, you know, and it's like, I could see how it's so accessible or you're just, you're waiting in the grocery line. What do we do when right. we're waiting in the grocery line? You know, you just, you pull out your phone and you check mm-hmm. social media. You're bored, right? Right. And um, and it was so funny because that's a really good analogy. I feel like, you know, what what magazines, you know, are at the checkout line at the, at the grocery store, right? They're always like the tabloids and all this stuff that they know that if you're bored, you're going to read this stuff and you're going to, the potential of you to buy it. And it's always like, it's always like junk food up there, right? It isn't like, right, right. they don't put the produce up there. They put like candy bars, <laughs> they put gum, they put like crappy magazines and stuff. Can I say crappy? Yeah. Is that okay? I, um, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, this is PG. Um, sorry, grandma. Um, I'll put a disclaimer at the beginning of this episode. But that, I mean, that is a microcosm of social media right there. It's like all this like garbage, right? And right you're like, right. oh. But yeah. there is there is some there's some benefits which we are going to talk about. But yeah, um, you have to be very discerning, <laughs> be very sure. careful. Well, I mean, if you look at all those stressors that we talked about, the top four stressors are highlight reel, social currency, FOMO, and online harassment. If you spend two hours a day on social media, you will encounter all four of those stressors. Wow. I mean, you just will. So y- you will encounter the stress of seeing people bully each other, um, having a distorted view of other people's lives because you only see the high right reels, and then you will feel a lot of depression because you have just wasted two hours of your life that you can't get back, hmm. um, which is really sad. Well, you still like talk to people at the grocery store line, right? And like strike up conversations with them because we're bored, right? And we're just like. I mean, we're secretly like spying out what each other are buying for groceries. <laughs> <laughs> do, you ever, do you ever do that? Do you ever judge what somebody else has in their cart? Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. That's always fun, isn't it? Yeah. But like, oh, yeah, they're judging me back. So it's, it's somebody, Somebody's loading up on the carbs. <laughs> or if you're, marathon. Or when you, the, here's the thing. When you're like, you're pushing a little buggy. Do you call it a buggy or a cart? I call it a cart. Okay. I'm a, I'm a cart that. person as well. Yeah. Okay, I call it good. Carts. All right. For all you buggy people, just, you need to. <laughs> get a life <laughs> but you know you're pushing your cart around the grocery store and then you come around the corner and there's someone from church there or someone from yeah. work there right yep. yep and there's always like there's always like that little glint like when you right they like they like you catch them looking down at your cart absolutely but then you <laughs> and, do too it's just yeah, like oh yeah like, all right okay so what, what are they buying you know yeah what oh, are they mir- for miracle whip and white bread huh <laughs> <laughs> bimbo <laughs> bread Somebody's not taking care of their temple, right? Oh, gosh. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there is that. We judge each other. Which, by the way, good good point. We, as human beings, are exceptionally judgmental of one another, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, that's just our nature. And if you say that you're not, you're a liar. Mm. Because we all are. So what does that mean in social media? And and I don't understand, like... when we post things online that are highly inflammatory and we know the judgmentalness of humanity, why are we surprised when people judge us for certain things when we understand how truly judgmental we are as human beings? Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I think a part of us likes a degree of division because, yeah. you know, like sociologists would say that we like to go tribal. Meaning yes. we like we like in a sea of people, we like to find the people we agree with and mm-hmm. we 
find the island and we defend it with those right. people. And that's right. just part of us being humans. It's what we like to do. But us being regenerate, regenerated um, temples of the living God, like the Holy Spirit in us, we have to crucify that aspect of our flesh and say, you know what? No, I'm not going to go tribal. I'm I'm going to think about the kingdom of God and think about the inclusivity Absolutely. of the kingdom of God. Absolutely. Um, but I think that's. I think that we. I think we default to that. We do. That's just how we are as as humans. Mm-hmm. Um, addictiveness to social media. Uh, some evidence in studies suggest suggests it's not as addictive as nicotine or alcohol or caffeine. But uh, I found this interesting. Internet addiction is classified as a real mental health disorder. Hmm. And there are things like phantom vibration syndrome, symptom, almost said syndrome, symptom, phantom vibration symptom, where if you uh, are addicted to social media and you take your phone out of your pocket and you're going somewhere without your phone, you might still feel your phone buzzing in your pocket even though it's not there. Oh, weird. Oh, I think I felt that before. I have too. Isn't that weird? And in studies have shown that your brain receives a dopamine spike every time you get those little buzzes. Wow. And every time you log on your social media and you see a like or you see a comment or you see a share or you see an invite. And, uh, yeah, it's an addictiveness, uh, addictive thing, even though, like, the research is mo- mainly focused on time spent online. I think if we are honest about how people spend time online, and that's mostly on social media, um, not having access to social media for some people, they've reported significant anxiety Mm. because they can't get on. So that sounds just like a drug addict that's been robbed of their stuff, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, paranoia. Yeah, Mm -hmm. is is it? Yeah. So excessive time spent online is linked to relationship problems. It's linked to um, poor academic achievement. It's linked to less participation in offline communities. So that's face-to-face interactions. Um, Yeah, and it's basically found that someone that spends a lot of time online tends to have poor relationships in person, um, which is, that's no big surprise. That's no big shocker there. Hmm. Um, and it's so crazy that online addiction, internet addiction is a real issue in nations like China, uh, Germany, Spain, and the UK, so much so there's now treatment centers for people with online addiction. Wow. Where just like you'll go to rehab for a cocaine addiction or for an alcohol addiction, you're sent to a rehab center for an online addiction. Wow. not crazy? I mean, that's coming to the U.S. I mean, it's just a matter of it time. Is. It's probably yep. right here. We just haven't really yeah. been able to identify it yet. It's really popular in the gaming community. Mm-hmm. So when I was in South Korea, um, there were a lot of, I taught high school in South Korea at an all boys school. And there were a lot of young men who would tell me that they had a friend or a brother or a relative that, um, you know, would spend 20 hours a day on the weekends doing nothing but gaming. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm up against that as a teacher right now. I'll have students that come in and they just look like zombies cause they're, they've been up, literally been up all night playing uh, Fortnite or I mean you name it just any online game right and and they're they're not not you know achieving academically or not succeeding academically because um, yeah they're they're absolutely addicted to this interaction online yeah 
just crazy. I, I yeah, that whole. Do you remember back in college, a couple of us got on Warcraft, the Warcraft server? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I you, remember going. You, I remember going to bed one night. No, no, no. Okay. I remember going to bed one night. Uh, because I would, I had to go to bed at ten o'clock at night every night because I would wake up, and um, I was in the the National Guard at the time, so I'd wake up yeah. and I'd go do PT in the mornings. At like, mm-hmm. had, we had to meet up at like six and do PT, and um, which is physical training. So I remember going to bed at ten o'clock one night, and you guys were. I don't know if you were there. I, you might. No, oh, I was there. I got on. But shamefully. everybody yeah. was at, at the dining room table, and they were all setting up to play and stuff. And I was like, good night, guys, or whatever. And I wake up at five thirty, five fifteen the next morning, <laughs> and we were all still, awake. and everyone's still there <laughs> playing. And I'm like, oh, what is happening oh, right now? Man, that so. was the weirdest season because it was like. Oh man, I think it was my senior year at Southeastern. I was taking 20 semester hours trying to finish up and a bunch of us got on and like we just thought like hey this would be fun cuz it was like a free 2 week trial or something. And we got on and it was literally like taking a drug. I mean, mm-hmm. you get into this other world and it's all inclusive like you're in this world. You yeah. have characters and all this. And so like 4 hours go by and you don't even think about it in five hours six hours like to you know and it was like a whole two week span for a bunch of us yeah where it was like oh my gosh Which we I, have spent so much time and after two weeks that was it i was like man i'm i'm i actually want to like graduate college and you know get a real job someday i'm, I'm just i'm getting off this but man it was crazy how addictive that was Which i think if i remember you guys kind of got into it like kind of as a joke we did we did and here's why and don't judge any of us please if you're listening to this um there's a show called south park and years ago 15 years ago long time ago i used to watch certain episodes and there was an episode about world of warcraft and we watched it and we thought man is that an actual game and we said yeah i bet a bunch of nerds play that let's get on and see if we can (laughs) meet a bunch of nerds and so we got on and then lo and behold we all got addicted (laughs) we were like oh man i guess we're the nerds yeah that's bizarre i mean yeah I, I don't have an addictive personality. Like I'm I'm too practical to to do that. Yeah. But you were the you were the only one that was like mature in that like you you truly like kudos to you. You were actually going to bed at ten and waking up at six. None of us. Oh were well, it wasn't college, it wasn't so. it was not a matter of choice. But um yeah, yeah. it's yeah it's it's just it is amazing how um you can be sucked into this alternate reality in which social media absolutely is just an alternate reality. Yeah. And you know you'll see people in groups. And there, you know, maybe like a function going on or some kind of party going on, and there will be one person over in a corner on social media mm-hmm. because they prefer that pseudo social environment over the real social environment. Yeah. And it's like that's so so interesting and so unhealthy in a way. Yeah. That they're trying to escape into that pseudo social environment. Yeah. Um, for various reasons or whatever, but absolutely. Well, let's talk about one of those. Um, the impact that social media has on self esteem and body image. So. Social media sites make more than half of its users feel inadequate. And that's according to research that was done amongst 1,500 people. Half of the people uh, that were asked that question, does social media make you feel more unattractive, said yes. Mm. And in 2016, Penn State did a uh, research study that suggested when you look at someone else's selfie, it actually lowers your self-esteem because you're comparing yourself to a photo of someone who looks their best and looks their happiest. Yeah. 
So apparently posting a selfie is the most selfish thing that you could ever do because research shows when you post a selfie and you put on your filter and you make yourself look amazing, that will make most people who look at it feel exceptionally insecure. Wow. Yeah, that's sad. Yeah. And and the research shows that a lot of people, um, particularly women, and this is three different studies from uh, a university in the UK, Ohio State, University of Ohio, that women compare themselves negatively to selfies of other women. Um, that's one of, the, I think, the most conclusive uh, parts of this research is that if you're feeling bad about how you look, don't go on social media because what you're going to see is not real life reflection of how someone else looks. Mm-hmm. People are going to take photos of themselves in the most flattering angles possible mm-hmm. And then use different filters and different angles and stuff to make themselves look great. And you're like, wow, I know this person and there they are looking like a model. And so it just creates a tremendous amount of insecurity and it causes people to feel like I'm not attractive. Yeah. Yeah, I heard something. I, I, I need to check this and see if it's if it's correct. But the average attempts at taking a selfie. So you're standing there and you're trying to get a selfie of yourself that you like. Mm-hmm. is something like 36 attempts. Oh my goodness. But I don't, I don't have to check it out and make sure. But, you know, I was at the pool the other day and I, I saw these people in the pool at kind of the shallow end just sitting on the steps. And I was just yeah, kind of like... It's appropriate. It would be in the shallow end, right? Because it's yeah. so shallow. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was just like, I was just like people watching and I was watching my kids swim around the, in this pool at this, at this subdivision. And um, and I was just like kind of watching in the corner of my eye and I was like, wow, you know, this is this, how many times they were like changing the angle and doing all this and like trying to take this perfect yeah. selfie in the pool. And it's like, oh, that's so, that's so, uh, I don't know, unrealistic. Yes. I guess, but I could see how that could have. But, and, and the crazy part is like when you're on that side of the camera, when you're like behind the camera and you're seeing how it's so artificial and how it takes all these attempts, you see the real perspective of it. But then somebody else, you know, 10 minutes later pulls up their social media they pull it up and they see like there's everybody sitting out at the pool Mm -hmm. and they've got perfect hair and their teeth is perfectly white. And the angle that the camera is, is their body has no folds or flaps or bumps or pooches, right? Cause, (laughs) cause they put the angle just right. Yeah. So that curves and imperfections. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh, man. John, John legend gets a shout out. Yeah. John, if you're listening, we love you. He's All of you. <laughs> o- oh. Overall well-being and happiness. Research is pretty conclusive. Most people that use social media frequently feel socially isolated, which is ironic. Uh, but others feel like it gives them a, well, a way to connect if they are socially isolated. I think we've seen this during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I, I think in some ways people have felt connected when you can't really connect because of shelter at home um, places but then in other ways it causes us to feel even more distant and isolated from each other yeah because we're not in the same room yeah and so generally um, most people report feeling like their life satisfaction declines over time the longer they spend on social media um Impact on relationships. Here's an interesting one. I thought this was such a fascinating study. So there was a research done in the Journal of Social and Personal Relationships, and there were 34 pairs of strangers 
and they were given the job of having a 10-minute conversation about an interesting event that had happened to them recently. And each pair sat in phone, and not phone booths, private booths, and half had a mobile phone on top of their table. And the people that had a phone in iShot were less positive when recalling their interaction afterwards. Mm. They had less meaningful conversations. They reported feeling less close to the partner than the others. And the other people had a notebook on the table instead. So there is a connection between the quality of meaningful interaction you have mm. with someone face-to-face and the presence of a mobile phone yeah. just in iShot. Yep. Yeah, I've heard that as well. And that's something I, I try to do when I'm having lunch or coffee or just dinner at my house. I I make sure there is no phone visible because yeah. I, I heard that as well. And I'm like, you know, I don't want to be that person. Like it, you hear that go off and your first instinct is to pick it up and look to see why the thing dinged. But yep. yeah, even if you like, I think that's the same study I looked at. Even if you have it on vibrate or silent and you have it just sitting there, it's just visible. Yep. It reduces the quality of that interaction. Yeah. And and it causes us, the more time we spend online interacting with people online, the more um, frustrated, lonely, and struggle, and str- we have more of a struggle to connect on a deeper, more emotionally meaningful level with people in person. Mm. Because online relationships tend to be very superficial. And in online relationships, people put their best foot forward. Yeah. And so displays of emotional weakness, insecurity, those generally tend to be concealed or minimized. So it, it's it's often almost impossible for people on social media to reveal the qualities that define deep, intimate relationships. Yeah. Not to say it doesn't happen, but it's it's hard because we tend to put our best foot forward and it, it's hard to actually get to know somebody for real. Well, and, you know, being being a shepherd of a congregation, being a pastor and operating in that role, you're, you're very dependent upon having conversations with people and face-to-face conversations with people, which I'm not really good at. It's not my strong suit. Like I love teaching. I love standing in front of to, to stand there and talk to someone one-on-one is actually more challenging for me, but yeah. I've, I've kind of used, and I, I've kind of had to reteach myself how to do that. And part of it is social media has damaged that part of me. Um, mm. But now I think about these, these three, um, F's. I think uh, I ask and I use this as kind of a guiding template for my conversations with people and people can steal this and use it if you want. But I, I ask about f- um, friends that we have in common. I ask about family and I ask about faith. Um, hmm. And I use that as kind of a guiding template when I'm having small talk with people sure. because I'm just not good at it. Yeah. But maybe people can use that and kind of regain their ability just to have meaningful conversations with people. Absolutely. Because ultimately that's what this is doing is it's really eroding our ability to have meaningful in-person face-to-face interactions. Yeah. Um, There's an impact on envy. So social media content sometimes triggers people to compare their lives to other people. Mm. That's (laughs) that's no surprise, is it? (laughs) Which is crazy because that's one of the 10 commandments. Don't 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 covet, right? Do you know the research shows the biggest culprit of creating envy was other people's travel photos? Wow. So uh, feeling envious uh, caused an envy spiral where people react to envy by adding to their profiles more of the same sort of content that made them jealous in the first place. <laughs> so somebody... Oh, and you got to believe that there are people who are doing it just to make other people envious. Yes. Like, okay, yeah. you know, especially like in broken relationships and stuff. Oh, so-and-so broke up with me. Well, I'm going to post a photo with this beautiful woman in, you know, right. in Key right, right, West, right. you know, and like we're sitting on yeah. the beach and like 
there there is that aspect of it, I'm sure this competition aspect. Absolutely, and that's no shocker. I mean, we we've all seen kind of the comparison uh, aspect of that. And and the last that we'll talk about before we get into can we use this in a meaningful and productive and Christ honoring way is the impact on loneliness. So a study published in the American Journal of Preventative Medicine last year surveyed 7,019 to 32-year-olds and found that those who spend the most time on social media were twice as likely to report experiencing social isolation, which can include a lack of a sense of social belonging, engagement with others, and fulfilling relationships. So Hmm. it is generally accepted in most research that spending more time on social media could displace face-to-face interaction and could create a deeper sense of loneliness. And also by seeing other people and seeing kind of these highly ideal, uh, idolized representations of their lives that elicits feelings of envy and this distorted belief that they're leading a happier and more successful life than you are. And so that just creates loneliness as well because it's yeah. like, man, everybody else is having a great time. Everybody else is doing great. I'm not. What's wrong with me? I'll never fit in. I'll never belong. I'll never be as good as them or as pretty as them. And it's all a farce because that's not true. That's not that's not reality. Yeah. Well, and we look at the who is the author of lies, you know, and which I think is a good segue into our next question. How does this impact faith? And is it but it is it is a great tool both in for the kingdom of god and advancing the kingdom of god but also for spreading lies and mistruth yeah um in in many different levels um and that's something we all have to be very cognizant of and discerning when using social media yeah well we've talked a lot about how it can do bad things how can it do good things what what good things can come out of social media what are some things that you've noticed that you can use it in a profitable way for um, we're just connecting people. I mean, uh, so like I, I teach biblical Hebrew at my congregation. And so like I, I created a, a Facebook group where I can post PDF files. I can post videos. I can post the Hebrew alphabet, you know, and, and do all these other things and check in with people. Or I can go live on there and read snippets of Hebrew in that group. So it connects people with common interest, um, yeah. definitely, um, which can in turn strengthen their faith make them better students of the word of God, but also enables them to encourage one another. Right. Um, yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of good. I think, I think connecting with people, you know, connecting with missionaries or um, like there's a missionary couple in Siberia and the wife was diagnosed with COVID-19. And so you go on there and you're seeing the updates and you're seeing, you're seeing how many people are commenting saying, oh, we're praying, we're praying, we're praying. And that's just so encouraging. It's so neat to see. And I imagine it's so encouraging for her going through that ordeal to have that connection yeah. with people. So yeah, it doesn't can do a lot yeah. of good. Yeah. And I've seen that just in, in our church. I mean, we have a church Facebook group and um, we live stream our services. And so mm-hmm. right now there's a lot of folks that aren't feeling necessarily comfortable getting out to come to church. And so we live stream our 11 a.m. service. And so somebody can on their Facebook, they can worship with their church family. They can, you know, yeah. study the Bible together, pray together. Um, so there's some great things on that. And I, I really appreciate being able to stay connected to my family. So I have family that's living in Georgia, family in California, and Missouri. I have family all across the country. And so it's it's really cool to be able to see, hey, here's what's going on, like, with my brother's kids. 
in California. Yeah. Right. And, and being able to stay connected with all of them and not feel so far away. So, I mean, there's good things that it can be used for, but I think it's interesting to, to point out like social media is, <laughs> it has no intrinsic morality. Like it's amoral. Yeah. Right. It's like a brick. A brick can be used to build a hospital or it can be used to bash someone's head in. A brick is not good. A brick is not evil. A brick is just a brick. Yeah. It's how you use it. Yeah. Same could be said about like assault rifles, right? It's like an inanimate object that that, yeah. that people with evil intent can use for evil. Sure. It's like, you know, it's it's the same concept, um, but it's, you know, maybe more apples and oranges. But yeah. the, yeah, like you said, Facebook, um, maybe as an organization, and the leadership of it, the people actually working, they may have political stances, they may have social stances and whatever, um, and various agendas. Um, but uh, that doesn't necessarily, well, I say that, but. Well, here, here's kind of why I say that. Like, I think it's amoral. I really do. Because, like, mm -hmm. I, I can't control. I think it's so funny when people hop on Facebook and they criticize Mark Zuckerberg and talk about how it's, you know, the worst, most evil platform. And I'm like, you idiot, you're using the platform to yeah. talk about how horrible a platform it is. Like, it's a platform. So a platform can be used to speak the truth, to share the gospel, to love people, to stay connected with people, or the platform can be simply an exposure of our own insecurities our mm -hmm. own cruelties, our own narcissism, and our own lack of self-worth because we're not finding identity in Christ. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's how you use it, and it's what you use it for, and it simply exposes more of what we are already. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And I guess what I, what I was trying to say is that as an organization, Facebook's stance on various political issues isn't going to impact your involvement a whole yes. lot. I so yeah, I, I absolutely yeah. While they may have a stance on certain issues and politics, your interaction with people on Facebook, it's not really dictated by that. So yeah, right. I agree. Like it's pretty much an amoral platform. Um, what you see or don't see, it may be dictated somewhat by algorithms or whatever, or or um, degrees of like fact checking or whatever. But your engagement, yeah, with people. Um, is to completely dependent on you. What you post, what you like, and what you respond to is totally, um, that ball is in your court. Yeah. Um, and I think we said this before we started recording, where it comes down to, it's like, is Facebook doing more good? Or is, is social media doing more good in the body of Messiah, in the kingdom of God, or is it doing more harm? Hmm. And I think the answer is not a yes or no answer. I think the answer is it depends. Right. It depends because just like a firearm you could pick up and use for evil, that firearm could also be used for things like, you know, you're a hunter, you know, like you could mm -hmm. do things for good, right? And right. you could provide food or something like that. But um, I, 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 and think, I think, yeah, I, I think it's all about using discernment and wisdom. Yeah. How we use it. But I think it's, it's like whatever is in your heart, whatever intent and motives you have, Facebook or social media is going to reveal that and bring it to the light Absolutely. in a very expedient way. Yeah. So it brings out either the best and or the worst in you, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
Well, to that end, I I have some uh, some thoughts just about how we can be more Christ-like and more honoring to the Lord and how we use social media. Um, so I'll just throw a couple of these out, and I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts. Uh, I think the first way that we can have a better online experience and be more God-honoring in our social media presence is, number one, to recognize the the potential dangers and to be mindful of them. Hmm. So I think awareness is critical. All the things we just talked about. Yeah. Like you can't avoid the dangers of it if you are denying the dangers of it. Right. It's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, like the time aspect, knowing that it's ad-driven. It's a revenue driven. Yes. Yeah. Yes, they want you to spend more time online. That's why you see videos pop up on your Facebook is they mm-hmm. want you to be on there. But you got to recognize the danger. The more time I spend on here, the more depressed I'll get, the more anxious I get, the more stressed out I'll get, the, the more likely I am to engage in some form of harassment, either trying to defend someone that's getting harassed or unknowingly start harassing someone else or getting harassed. Mm-hmm. So recognize the danger. Um, the second is uh, adjust and audit your social media diet. So that is asking the question, did that scroll through my Twitter or through my Instagram or through my Facebook, did that make me feel better or did that make me feel worse? (laughs) Or I think a better question, did that cause me to be more in love with Jesus or did that cause my heart to be colder to the things of Jesus? Yeah. And if the answer is, that causes me to not want to love my wife and kids, that causes me to not want to be more in love with my Lord and Savior, then look for those pieces of content that mislead you and unfollow them. Yeah. Yeah, or, yeah, just disengage. I mean, hide that person that's always posting those things that are counter to your assessment of that situation. I mean, stay connected with them, but, you know, just... If, if that stresses you out and they live on the other side of the country and you know that you're not going to actually change their mind on the issue, just click the little thing and hide them, you know? And, right. and Absolutely. That's, there's no shame in that. No, not um, at all. But yeah, I think, I think, like you said, being cognizant of all these pitfalls as yeah. you're going into it. And it's kind of like alcohol, right? It's like it, there is no explicit command that says thou shalt not drink any kind of alcohol. But there is a command that says don't get drunk. Don't yes. inhibit your ability to discern because you drank too much alcohol. Um, so I think the the key here is like moderation, being yep. discerning, being purposeful, and then like you said, putting boundaries. Okay, at this time I'm gonna I'm gonna get on this social media platform, and at this time I'm gonna get off, and I'm not gonna check yep. it again until 24 hours from now or whatever. Yep. yep. And and that kind of leads to the next one to to create a better online experience to be more honoring to God and honoring to other people. Uh, purge. So unfollow anything (laughs) or get off any platform that causes sin, that creates insecurities, Mm -hmm. that creates rage, or that fuels your narcissism. Yeah. I have talked to so many men that will tell me, Pastor, when I get on Instagram, it always wants, it always leads me to want to look at pornography. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm following pictures of these young ladies that are friends with my daughter, these young ladies that you know, go to the church and they're posting pictures of themselves in their, in their bathing suits on spring break. And it's at least nothing to the imagination. And mm-hmm. I look at that and next thing I know, it triggers me to want to go look up other things. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they come to me basically 
acting like they're helpless against it. And I'm like, no, you, it, it, you don't have to be on Instagram, man. Yeah. Get off Instagram. If it's causing you to sin, Jesus says if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Mm-hmm. If your Instagram account is causing you to look at pornography, deactivate your Instagram account. You don't have to have it. Yeah, I always say, I always say, what if before we all pluck out our right eyes and chop off our right hands, what if we downgrade to a flip phone? <laughs> you know, I say <laughs> that, and I'm like, yeah. what? <laughs> it, it seems a lot less drastic to yeah, me. Yeah, he wants he wants us to go to drastic measures to avoid ending up in the fires of hell. So what yeah. if before we hit that drastic, what if we try some less drastic things like? moving our laptop to our living room and yeah. that's where we use our laptop you know yeah yeah and i think yeah, for, it's, it's just simple as that it's like having these clear yeah. boundaries and and admitting that you're fallen admitting that you're you're sinful human being right and we have a propensity to to be tempted and to fall for that temptation and yep. there's ways that we can avoid um falling for that temptation really simple yep. practical ways absolutely uh so the fourth is model good behavior. So you, you've already gone through, you recognize that it can be dangerous. You've already gone through, you've audited your social media diet and you've adjusted your social media diet. You've purged your social media accounts, basically unfollowing anything that creates insecurities, rage, narcissism, or lust. And then the fourth thing is, okay, you use your social media in the way that you would prefer everyone else use their social media. In other words, you, you, you model to the people that are following you how you think it should be used. Hmm. If, it, if it makes you angry and ticks you off when people harass other people online, don't harass other people online. If it makes you angry and creates insecurities when you see other people posting selfies of themselves in the most flattering light, then don't post selfies of yourself in the most flattering light because the research shows all you're doing is making people insecure. Hmm. Yeah. So social media can either tear you down or lift you up, and you using social media can either tear other people down or lift other people up. we got to start thinking about when we post content, it is instant, it is permanent, and it is global. It goes out, especially if you have a public social media, like your, your Instagram's public, your Twitter's public, your Facebook. Anybody that just Googles your name can find it and view it. Yeah. Yeah, I think you have to ask yourself, wait, before I post this, what's the motivation behind posting this? Absolutely. Yeah, and who's going to see it? Yeah, yeah. And how is it going to impact the people who see it? And being cognizant of that, um, I've, I'm in the middle of a hire. We're hiring for a position here at, at um, our church, and I have interviewed a lot of people for it. And almost every time I get a resume, one of the first things I do is I go on and check their social media accounts. Yeah, yeah. Well, I do the same thing. I have a rental house, and when someone submits information to want to be part you know live in my rental house that's one of the first things i go do is yeah absolutely yep. i check their social media yep. and it's i have every right to do that you know it's, absolutely it, um you make it public and i can check it but yep. it tells me a lot about the people and their habits and their lifestyle and whether or not yep. they're worthy of living in my in my house absolutely. and something that i've invested a lot of time and money into so yep um yeah be careful because it is a window into your lifestyle it's a window into absolutely. your faith and how well you walk it out and it's a window into your family it's i mean yeah. And and the world, people who are outside of a covenant relationship with their creator are they're looking at that and they will make judgment calls whether or not they want to have a relationship with their heavenly father based Absolutely. on and I've seen it time and time again. People will say, Why would I want to be involved in that when I see you guys tearing each other apart? Yeah. Well and here's just a as my hobby horse. Um just because you think it does not mean you have to tweet it. 
Mm. Wait, what? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because you you see yourself in the mirror and you're like, wow, I look good this morning. That doesn't mean you have to take a picture of yourself shirtless and put it up. Uh, all right, I'll go back and delete it. <laughs> yeah, just because your breakfast looks phenomenal and you're like, this looks delicious. I think everyone wants to see this bowl of cinnamon toast crunch. That's not true. Oh, man, you're just bursting bubbles I here. I know, I'm sorry. Lucky okay. charms. <laughs> I follow Instagram accounts that just have milk and syrup. That's oh, it. man. No, I'm just kidding. Last thing is this. It is a good habit to get into to regularly regularly practice fasting from social media mm. or going dark. Mm-hmm. So there should be rhythms in your life as a, and this is just me, all right? I, I think I can lean on scripture for this, but I've just found this to be very beneficial in my life. Mm-hmm. There should be rhythms in your life as a follower of Jesus that you willingly deactivate all of your socials, you purge them off your phone, you get rid of them off your phone, and you spend time not being on the world of social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one, one thing happened to me. Um, I was kayaking down a river this past month, and my phone got wet, right? And it died, it got fried. Yeah. And I went a week without a phone and I was just using Stacy's phone and it was like, I was so like happy-go-lucky and cheery and stress-free in that yeah. week because I just wasn't on all that stuff. I had so much extra time, I noticed Absolutely. as well. Um, yeah. I was so productive. The other thing that I do, and I try to make this a habit, and this isn't like a hard and fast rule for me, but you know, I I make it a point on Friday at sundown, we, we consider that the beginning of the Sabbath, the weekly Sabbath. I put my phone away and I don't get on social media whatsoever until Saturday at sundown. That's so good. I take a 24 or 25 hour break from all of that. And That's awesome. I just allow that time to be focused on congregation and worship and study scripture and family time. Yeah. Um, and I want to encourage everyone to do that if it's, you know, a Sunday morning to Monday morning or something. Um, make that a family tradition. Um, and yeah. your kids will love that. Your kids will absolutely yeah. love because they'll have you as the parent, right? They'll have your undivided attention and they'll love that. Yeah. No, that's, the, un- that's unplug great. the Wi-Fi for 24 hours. No, I don't. Well, yeah, that's hard. <laughs> but it's it, the, we, the way the way is now. No, that's good. I like that. That's great. But like, I mean, just even you saying that, like there's anxiety because I'm like, <gasps> my <Yeah>. Amazon Alexa, <laughs> how am I going to play Jeopardy? Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, how am I going to no. tell Alexa to play Michael Bublé when I wake yeah. up in the morning? Oh, no. I can't listen to me and Mrs. Jones. Oh. <laughs> Why is that the one Michael Bublé song that came to my I don't know. mind? Yeah. I, I, but I do think this. So um, once you get off, you realize just how unnecessary f- social media tends to be. Now... Just because it is, when I say unnecessary, it has aspects of it that are beneficial, certainly. And we've explored those. But you can live without it. Yeah. It is a commodity. It is not a necessity. Mm -hmm. And FOMO, fear of missing out, creates this anxiety that tells you it is a necessity, not a commodity. But that's not true. It's a commodity. It's not a necessity. You can live without it. You can go without it. You will be okay to deactivate as you go on family vacation for eight days. That's what we did recently. I got off all socials. I had people texting me asking if I was okay. Like, yes, (laughs) I'm fine. I just, I need to get off. It's healthy. It's good. Here's an interesting question and mental exercise. The internet mysteriously vanishes tomorrow. It shuts down completely. Okay. There there is no more. Yeah. 
that does that. <laughs> How does that affect your family and your faith community? Yeah. Is your family and your faith community dependent upon the presence of this thing called the internet? If it is, or your friendships even, let's extend it to that. Your family, mm. your faith community, and your friendships. How does it affect all that? I guess that's the three Fs, right, that I talk about. Yeah. And does that does that in any way negatively affect any of those three spheres of your life? And if so, I would say do that mental exercise and and repair and and um, bolster those aspects of your life um, because they should not be dependent upon the presence of the internet. Absolutely, I think that's something we've seen too through this mm-hmm. pandemic. You know, if everything shuts down. If, if the internet were to shut down, right? I mean, yeah, would would be okay. And this is kind of a question. I know we're running long here, and thank you guys for listening no, this good. far. But this yeah, is kind absolutely. of a, can- a candid question here. Do you fear, as a pastor, that because you guys went virtual during this thing, mm-hmm. that people will, even after it completely blows over, right, hundred percent's gone? Mm-hmm. Do you fear that people will drop off the radar and solely worship and listen and? engage online do you fear that and if so why i guess um yeah that's a great question and um my candid response is absolutely yeah and and here's here's why um one of the things we tried to do when we went online is we tried to pitch it as we are asking you to have home church Mm -hmm. and we're asking you to gather together with your family your neighbors people that you live close to in smaller groups, right? Groups of less than 10 and worship together. You know, whenever I would record a, a Bible teaching, I'd always say at the end of it, hey, spend some time praying and talking together mm-hmm. and taking communion together in your home group gathering. Um, and we had so many folks in our congregation that did that, that stepped up to the plate and that men leading their families, and, yeah. you know, leading. And I was so grateful for that. But then at the same time, I got a little frustrated as a pastor because I had people reaching out, when are we going to be able to have church again? Yeah, and and I understood the frustration. I mean, I, I wanted to be face to face with folks again as well, but I was being face to face with folks in my home every yeah. week, and so my frustration was, "Hey, why aren't you doing this in your home right now?" Right. You're complaining about not having church, but you can have church because the church is not some program or service that we have once a week, and it's mm-hmm. not some religious programming piped in through a through the internet. It's you, right? And so. Which um, I, th- I think leads to a bigger conversation that is almost worth a, worth another podcast episode is yeah. um, uh, basically, is this pandemic a sifting of the church in America? Probably. And if so, what is the future of that? Is it... So it, it might be worth just... Yeah. Stacey and I were talking about it on the road yesterday and had a really good conversation about it. And it's like, oh. we look at this as, as a negative thing. But right. in terms of the kingdom, a, you know, in terms of end times, we're mm-hmm. promised that a sifting, would, a purifying of the bride would yes. have to take place. Yes. So it's interesting because it's, what it's doing is people are saying, oh, wait a second, I can just get all this on the internet. You know, mm-hmm. instead of, and I mentioned this, like, instead of watching my church's worship band do a crappy rendition of this Hillsong song, <laughs> I can just go to Hillsong's YouTube channel yeah. and watch the original and tap all into the, the spirit. quality. And oh, everything. yeah. Yeah. So it's like it begins to 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 split people. Like, are you here as a spectator, yeah. or are you involved in this because 
you really are invested in this community and this group of people and Absolutely. you desire, you have a longing to worship with them. And, and that's the danger of everything primarily online mm -hmm. because it does not require the same kind of engagement as face-to-face. -face. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so someone can tune into a live stream service and, and it doesn't require anything from you. You can sit and watch. Mm -hmm. You don't have to sing along. You don't have to open your Bible. You don't have to pray together. You don't have to get out of your seat and there's greet no your neighbor. You don't, there's no accountability. You're not going to see me at the door asking how you're doing. And, hey, how's that thing that you asked me to pray for? Like, you, mm -hmm. you don't have to do any of that. You just sit. But here's the thing. It, it All Internet usage does is exposes what was in our hearts anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it makes it easier for us to be more of what we already are. Yeah, it's like it's like the knowledge of the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? Yeah. It's like we, we all are going to face that through the internet, through social media, and we right. all have a choice to make every single day. Do I yeah. pick the fruit and eat it, or do I just leave it there? Do I do I choose the tree of life, or do I choose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Absolutely. Wow. Deep questions, man. Yeah. Especially yeah. especially as we're trying to land the plane. I like, know, mm, I know. I'm sorry. What do you think about Calvinism versus Arminianism? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we got 30 seconds, so uh, maybe that should be another podcast topic do you think that one would be that wouldn't be controversial at all would it i i don't think <laughs> <Gosh>. <laughs> i don't think i want to oh, do that man. one just yet but, that is uh, a tough yeah well yeah. i i probably have a completely different outlook on it all but maybe it would know. be a good topic i don't know but um people can I, send emails if they think so i want to give people i think we were talking about future podcast episodes i think we were talking about um what, what we we're gonna say uh oh um Oh, uh, we were going to talk about Darwinism, right? Maybe in the future. Episode. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's coming up. Uh, we talked about talking about AI. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and the AI. future of AI and things like that. Really cool book I'm reading. I, another thing I think would be really cool to talk about, and this just kind of um, further down the road, but uh, commercialism within mm -hmm. the body of Messiah, within the church. Commercialism mm. and how it has affected, negatively affected the gospel. I, I live in the Nashville, Tennessee area, so I think I could yeah. probably speak to that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Jesus Land, USA. But I do want to say thank you to everybody who's listened this far. I know we've gone way over. Absolutely. I hope this has been an, an encouraging and edifying conversation we've had so far. Absolutely. And I want to encourage everybody to mind your manners on social media. <laughs> Don't post any selfishies. I mean, your, selfies. Your grandma's watching. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for listening. See you guys next time. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.